0: Chapter seventeen of Between the Larchwoods and the Weir This is a Libervox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo Between the Larchwoods and the Weir by Flora Clickman Chapter seventeen Moongold. In the garden the flame of august is over all the garden a blaze of yellow and scarlet orange and red for most of the blues and pinks go out with july though the lavender flowers are opening intensely blue and big clumps of eryngium with blue stems as well as blue flower heads make masses of contrasting color amidst the sunflowers single and double and the asholtzias and marigolds glowing golden and undaunted by the hottest sunshine the flowers of the red-hot poker rival their namesakes broad spreading clumps of Montebricia, each waving hundreds of fiery orange and red blossoms have sprung into existence since last we were here from lowly modest-looking patches of green blades the second crop of gloire de dijon roses are out likewise holding in their hearts remembrance of the hot sunshine that pervades the earth geraniums turned out of doors to get a little air though there certainly isn't much to get just now are shouting aloud in pride of their heavy scarlet bosses the mountain ash-trees contribute plenty of color each branch bent down with a smother of a bunches of berries which are being eagerly devoured by blackbirds thrushes and hawfinches tall red and yellow hollyhocks try to persuade you that they are nearly as high and quite as brilliant as the mountain ash nasturtiums trail all over the place climbing where there is next to nothing to support them with flowers so thick you lose count of the foliage and what a dazzling mass they make touched apparently with every shade of yellow and brown and red from blossoms of palest primrose marked with vivid scarlet past salmon color streaked with orange and lemon yellow splashed with chocolate to dark mahogany red smoked with deep purple brown they smother weeds that gain in impudence as the season advances and cover bare places where bulbs and earlier blooming plants have died down. They hang over the tops of walls. They crowd the border pinks into the pass. They get mixed up with the hedges, and surprise you by sending out vermilion flowers at the top of a sedate old box tree, clipped to look like a solid square table. They run out of the little white gate into the lane, and they creep under the rails into the orchard indeed there are times when their exuberance almost makes one tired more especially if the thermometer favours the nineties the garden walls are teeming with colour sweet alyssum has seated itself wherever can find a spare niche rather a difficulty unless a plant goes house-hunting quite early in the season though the white and purple Arabis finished flowering months ago it contributes crimson and purple to the color scheme as its foliage ripens in the hot sun any intelligent gardener can tell me that the top of a sunny wall is far too hot for a fuchsia certainly and of course it is especially in august yet some misguided person had one planted there just where the wall has a break in it and a flight of steps leads down to the next level it is the lovely old-fashioned bush sort smothered with slender drooping blossoms and it reaches out long arms that arch right over the steps and as you go down unless you lower your head you set a tinkling scores of crimson bells with rich blue-purple centers and people who understand all about fuchsias glare at it severely and then at me and remark a most unsuitable position and where nothing else in particular is making any sort of a show the ubiquitous herb robert spreads itself about on the top of the walls or roots and crevices down the sides it is in particular where so long as there are stones that need clothing with a loveliness there you will find it laying its crimson leaves with a lacy airiness over the stern surface of the rock the very scents of the garden are hot and pungent as one rubs against thyme and marjoram or the great sage-bush that smothers one wall the trees of sweet bay were cut in the morning the rosemary bushes had to be trimmed where their branches were lying on the ground someone has stepped on pieces in passing all day long the heat strikes down on the parched, cracking earth, baking the stones, shrivelling up any fern fawns that chance to catch its direct rays, drying up the little brook, and testing the powers of endurance of the scarlets and yellows, orange and reds that are flaunting themselves in the face of the sun. To sit out of doors is only possible beneath the firs and larches, in the green shade by the wood-house. Where the sun never penetrates, and even here it makes one warm to watch the glare beyond the thicket of trees, the hot air quivering, nothing but butterflies and dragonflies about, and naught to break a breathless silence but the twitter of the tits, grub hunting in the larches, and the perpetual hum of uncountable insects who seem to find no heat too great. But presently the shadows of the pines begin to lengthen, and in the shade thrown by the larches along the meadow side, blackbirds are seen making short runs along the ground on foraging expeditions. Chaffinches, tits, linnets, and bullfinches come out from green hiding-places and go down to the birds' bath to drink. Longer grow the shadows the swallows rise and take high curving sweeps in the upper air wonderful little aeronauts whom no man has trained as the sun touches the top of the opposite hills a breeze wakes up the birchwood whispering that the sunset will soon be here and the leaves start talking about the stifling heat that so exhausted them through the day the sun drops lower behind the hill rabbits peep out from beneath the brambles then make for the hummocky field that adjoins my cabbages the field where the big oaks stretch wide arms over soft green luscious grass Ophah's oaks we have named these ancient giants because they border opha's dyke and they have so often described to the more youthful birch-trees the time when they saw opha king of mercia come marching past in 765 a d that at length they have actually come to believe they were alive and flourishing in his day we humor their age by pretending that it was so at last the sun disappears flaming to the last in crimson and gold orange and red the breeze gets lustier after the sun has gone under and a squirrel comes scampering head first down a tall fir tree in search of a delicious toadstool that he sometimes finds at its base. Pheasants strut up out of the coppice and roam about the pasture. Imperceptibly, you know not whence it comes, there steals over the earth the cool, refreshing scent of dew-drenched bracken, mingling with the sweet, wistful evening incense of some late honeysuckle and as you watch the fading afterglow of pink and saffron sea-green and tawny rose you sense that in some mysterious way the face of the garden has entirely changed gone is the fire of the scarlet geraniums lost is the vermilion of the nasturtiums even the sunflowers hang their heads and the hollyhocks have turned off their lights the marigolds have closed their eyes, and the Asholzias have folded up their brave flowers, the tired little heads bowing over, thankful for this respite. Then, as the Montbricias toll the angelus from crowds of golden throated bells, the evening primroses silently, gratefully, open a thousand blossoms and bathe the garden in a wondrous gleam such a clear clean yellow it is so quiet and yet so penetrating it seems in some strange way to hold the radiance of heaven and focus it on the sleeping flower patch subduing all that would strike a glaring note hiding the ragged deficiencies of fading leaves and withering seed pods by day one scarcely notice the straggling plants at all save perhaps to remark on their rather shabby appearance but now they shine from terraces and wall-tops from crannies in the rough stone steps they send up tall shafts bearing aloft their evening lamps about the garden-beds among the currant bushes at the edge of the gravel-walk between the stones in the paved-path wherever they can find root-room they have taken hold for they were ever wanderers and given to exploring the farthermost corner of any garden wherein they have made themselves at home the last rose-pink flush has faded from the clouds not even a sleepy twitter is heard from bush or bough the wind sows softly in the pine-trees those harps of endless strings from out of her hidden stores of abundance nature has given moisture to the grass refreshment to the fainting foxglove leaves and damped the forest fern then breathing quiet on a weary world has bidden it take rest yet all are not asleep standing like sentinels through the darkest hour of night the evening primroses adding scent to scent flood the garden from end to end with a veritable glory of swaying gleaming moon-gold end of chapter seventeen moon-gold in the garden